Welcome to Media Training and Story Making. I'm your host, Wyeth Ruthven. I teach people the skills to tell their own stories. I've been a media trainer for 10 years, a political operative for 25 years, and a storyteller my whole life. On the menu today, a media training tip about how to visualize statistics, a book about how Congress works and how it doesn't, a story about the islands of the Indo-Pacific, and an interview with Alex Karjaker, political strategist and blogger at texasplenty.com. When I do media trainings, I often preach that stories are better than statistics. That's always going to be true. But there are times when to get your message across, only a statistic will do. So you need ways to make your statistics easy to visualize and comprehend. There's a couple ways of doing this. Number one is what I like to call the Trident Gum Principle. Four out of five dentists prefer Trident. If you can express your statistic as a ratio of whole numbers, like four out of five dentists, you should do so. Don't say 82%, say four out of five. Number two, you can use something I like to call the silver bullet statistic. A silver bullet statistic is a fact that's easy to remember, it's easy to visualize, it's easy to share with other people. For example, here's a statistic about China China's economy has grown 10 times in the last 20 years. That's a general statement of fact, so let's quantify it. Picture this. China will build 50,000 new skyscrapers by 2025. That takes that economic growth and quantifies it in a way. But 50,000 new skyscrapers, that's hard to picture. That's just a lot of skyscrapers. You can't wrap your head around that. So how do you put that into something that people can visualize and articulate? Think about it like this. 50,000 buildings is enough skyscrapers to fill 10 New York-sized cities. We don't know what 50,000 skyscrapers looks like, but we do know what the New York skyline looks like. And multiply that skyline times 10 That's a measure of the economic growth that China is experiencing. That's how you make it easier for your audience to visualize those statistics that you're giving them. The book I'm reviewing in this episode is When the Tea Party Came to Town by Robert Draper. I decided to read this book because I wanted to find out what makes Congress so unpopular and what happens to Congress in an era of divided government. This book is about the passage of the Budget Control Act of 2011, which raised the debt ceiling in return for across-the-board cuts to defense and domestic spending. This session of Congress, the 112th Congress, had a dismal 9% approval rating. 
The story is told from a variety of points of view by the different members of Congress themselves. My favorite parts of the book are the chapters featuring John Dingell. The book describes three types of members of Congress based on where they put their focus. Climbing the leadership ladder, setting policy in a congressional committee, or delivering for their district. Dingell had been a committee-focused congressman, rising to chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. Then his gavel is taken away in a leadership fight, and then Democrats lose control of Congress. Even so, Dingell remains the dean of the House, the senior-most member of Congress. And by the end of the book, he manages to create a new national battlefield in his district in Michigan, despite being out of power. I learned from this book that the two most powerful influences in politics are geography and biography. John Dingell is a good example. His father was a congressman. He served as a congressional page as a boy, and he sat on the House floor when FDR addressed Congress after the attack on Pearl Harbor. He grew up revering the House of Representatives, and that made him an institutionalist. As a congressman, when Republicans convene a hearing on Islamic radicalization in the United States, Dingell decides to testify in opposition. As a quote-unquote district representative, he is testifying on behalf of the large Muslim community in his district in Dearborn. Also, as the dean of the House from a safe Democratic seat, he could rail against the hearing without suffering political consequences. So that's the book for this episode, When the Tea Party Came to Town, by Robert Draper. This is a story about 50,000 islands. Picture a map of the world. Now focus on the Indo-Pacific region, the area where the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean converge. Now, draw an imaginary triangle on the map. The three points of the triangle are Mumbai, India, Sydney, Australia, and Manila in the Philippines. Inside of that triangle, there are 50,000 islands. And on some of those 50,000 islands, there are a whole host of threats. Terrorist cells, pirates, drug traffickers, human traffickers. Aircraft carriers and battleships can't go there. The water is too shallow, and the ships themselves are too vulnerable to attack from faster asymmetric threats, like speedboats full of explosives. How is the U.S. Navy expected to navigate the shallow waters and narrow passages around 50,000 islands in the Indo-Pacific? That's why they've commissioned the littoral combat ship. It has a minimal draft, so it can navigate the shallow coastal waters. It is faster than the frigates and coastal patrol boats it is intended to replace, and it has the adaptability to lead multiple missions, minesweeping, submarine hunting, and amphibious landings. The littoral combat ship enhances the Navy's ability to operate anywhere at any time, especially in those 50,000 islands full of threats. 
Alex Karjerker is a political strategist and a blogger at TexasPlenty.com. Alex, welcome. Thanks, Wyatt. Thanks for having me. So, Alex, one of the things um, that, that we've kind of explored in this podcast is, is the idea that one of the formative experiences that shapes people's ideologies and politics are, are two factors. There's biography and geography. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how and where you grew up? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, so I grew up in uh, Houston, Texas, down in the Clear Lake area, kind of where NASA is. Uh, you know, I always will tell people that when they say, um, Houston, we have a problem like that. That's who they were talking to is the folks that, that I grew up with. And you go to school and astronauts would come with their kids and it was totally normal. And people would say, oh, you go meet me at the Space Center and just come to my office. And so space was very much a, a big part of, of, um, of my growing up. Um, I was also in uh, what, what was at the time a Tom DeLay's district. Um, so to give you a sense of, of the politics at the time, um, my, my family was, my parents were both uh, born overseas and, and ended up meeting each other on a blind date in Texas. And so a lot of um, their experience overseas and, and their perspective of the world, uh, you know, kind of the world as it was in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, like really informed their view of the world and politics and kind of where they thought the U.S.'s place was. Um, and so I was kind of, you know, a liberal, a liberal Democrat, lowercase L, liberal Democrat from from Texas, from the South. And that's kind of uh, it really informed a lot of um, my perspective. I think the other part that maybe informs my perspective is um, a little bit after you and I met, I was in D.C. Um, for and just involved in politics in the 2010s. And a lot of just sort of what D.C. is like in that period informs my thinking. What was DC like in that decade? Give it your, you've, 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 you've opened yourself up to make, making an observation. What, 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 what was that like? Well, from what I read in the history books, it's very different than what it was previously. It's just a lot of gridlock, a lot of nothing, no big things happening. A lot of, I think what some folks call secret Congress, like stuff happening on the side where leadership isn't involved. And, you know, maybe you can do something if the media never talks about it. Um, but very just sort of quiet stuff. And then the stuff that you that you see in the news every day, like there's nothing there's nothing happening on any of the the big issues. I think I've heard someone else describe it as like different laws of political reality. It was if you if your issue gets a lot of attention versus little attention. So so yeah, I think that that's informed a lot of my uh, thoughts. And that and it also that you know more stuff happens at the state level than at the federal level nowadays. Secret Congress is a thing, and that the. The, to the extent that there is still bipartisanship, it's on issues that don't attract scrutiny and don't um, play into the level of polarization that you see in other places or, or with other issues. Um, so and in terms of your politics, you, you ran for the Texas legislature. Tell me tell me about what that was like, what your campaign was like. Yeah, no, I, so I think, uh, you know, for folks who might know a little bit more about Texas, it's, uh, the area group is not just uh, Tom DeLay's area, but also used to be um, represented by a guy named Jack Brooks, who was a, also a liberal Democrat from kind of, kind of Southeast Texas. It was great. I got to speak with a lot of the uh, folks, the indivisible folks who had sort of come up, a lot of the resistance folks. This was sort of a suburban part of Houston, right? So a lot of folks who previously hadn't been maybe active or maybe been, you know, folks who voted Republican for a previous version, in 2018, we're kind of ready to shift and do something different. Um, and it was it was a big learning experience. I, I could go on and on about all the things I did learn, but um, I met a lot of wonderful people. You learn about even the place you're from, 
in a way that you maybe hadn't understood before. And uh, I certainly encourage folks all the time that, you know, to, to try it, to do it, because democracy is very participatory. Like we need people to actually do, do this type of work. And, and even if you don't win, you can, uh, like I didn't win, um, you can scare your incumbent into being a bit more responsible the next time around. Well, if if you had one, you'd be in a hotel in uh, in Washington D.C. hold up, trying to break quorum again. But that's neither here nor there. Let let me ask you, kind of keeping on the politics of this. You know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Texas becoming a swing state, and within you know debates about uh, political strategy, there's sort of a debate about whether or not Democrats should be working to grow their base turnout their supporters or whether they should be working to persuade moderates and independents. You've done with your blog at texasplenty.com, you've done some research into this. What, what, what have you found? Yeah. And I think um, in this last cycle, the 2020 cycle, um, what I think is interesting, and you were kind of alluding to the quorum break, um, you know, Democrats, state house Democrats won about 67 seats, right? 67 seats in the state house, um, which is not bad, but it's, it's sort of net zero from what we were in 2018 which is a bit of a surprise. I think a lot of folks thought that we would be able to get to a majority at 76. Um, but when I went back and looked at it, you know, some of the, the Secretary of State finally put this data out there. Um, you know, Joe Biden won 74 state house seats. Um, and then there were two, two Democrats that won in seats uh, down in South Texas that uh, Donald Trump won. Um, and so if you kind of put the two together, that suggests that there were at least 76 groups, of majorities of people out there willing to vote for Democrats. Um, each district is different. Uh, everybody has different ideas, but there certainly are. There were you know, eight districts where folks voted for Joe Biden and then they voted for their local Republican state house member. And we should figure out why that is. And so I'm, I'm very much in the persuasion game. I think that persuasion is the way to go. And then, uh, you know, one one question that we like to kind of close with is that if, if you could give one piece of advice to your a younger version of you, your younger self, uh, what advice would you give? Uh, I'd say that I try and tell myself to, to just get on with it. Like you try, I, I think in my, in my past, I tried to get everything sort of right or get it like really in a really good place. But I think if I were to tell myself again, I'd say, just, just get on with it. You know, don't worry about, and don't let the enemy, uh, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Okay. Well, Alex, thank you so much. You know, uh, your, your blog is, is texasplenty.com and, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Media Training and Story Making. I'm Wyeth Ruthven. You can find me on Twitter, at WyethWire is my handle. Until next time, remember these three things. Your good work needs to be seen. Your voice needs to be heard. Your story needs to be told.